0: You're listening to The Extra Real with Ger Brown
1: and Colin Ryan for a look at the bigger picture of film
0: with films from around the world
1: through the decades
0: from movies you know and love
1: to movies you need to discover.
0: This week on the show we're doing another head-to-head so we're taking two versions of Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca so we're Hitting alfred hitchcock's 1940 version versus the new 2020 netflix produced ben wheatley version and we've again we've we've gone back to our scoring system so there's a a total of 10 marks available in each section so we're going to look at cast we're going to look at direction we're going to look at soundtrack and we're going to look visuals and we're also going to look at the script so let's dive straight in column and look at yeah. the cast. So I'm going to give you my scores first. And I'm going to give you the the rationale behind it, and you dive right in with your scores. Okay. So for the 1940 film, I've given it nine. For the 1920, for, for the for the 2020 film, I've gone. I've given it eight.
1: Okay. What did
0: you do? What, did, what way did you score it?
1: I went for a ten for the 1940 version. Right. Full ten, perfection. And then I've gone for an eight. With the 2020 version.
0: Yeah. So we both scored the twi- the 1940 version very highly. Let's talk about that first. Um, yeah. So we've got like... Laurence Olivier. We've got Joan Fontaine. And we've got the likes of George Sanders. We've got Judith Anderson. All amazing in their parts. Perfectly cast. Um, You know, Larry had just... You know... Right. Well, he'd been in Hollywood beforehand in the nineteen thirties. I think he'd, he'd gone over for a bit, and I think yeah. it had been a bit of a a, a strange uh, period. And he'd done Fire Over England in nineteen thirty nine. I think with with his other half and wife, soon to be wife. Not if she wasn't actually his wife, Vivian Lee which was a, you know not a great great film or anything of any note. But this is this is one of the his significant American films. Um, where and obviously you know this is prior to him going off and being larry the shakespeare director you know Um, so he's as look in the role of maxim de winter um, he's iconic it's perfect for him
1: he's brilliant yeah and he plays him it's such he's not he's not the most sensitive character let's put it that way no and he's very kind of an old-fashioned kind of Kind of gent I guess Yeah But it works It works really well And I guess it's just His natural charisma uh, And he's obviously A very kind of handsome man He's very He looks He looks very kind of You know He's got that upper class Kind of gentleman look About him doesn't he Yeah
0: Like I Fits into
1: a suit very well
0: Absolutely (laughs) perfectly yeah Like I find There are some films Where Laurence Olivier Is mugging to the camera A bit much Or Okay seems miscast, but I think here he's perfectly cast. And the air of melancholy at the start is just it's well conveyed. Definitely. Um
1: Joan Fontaine, what are you thinking? Oh, I think Joe Fontaine Fontaine's brilliant. Yeah um she's got a great look. I, I was when I was watching this I had a she just looks so kind of I don't know she, a bit like um Ingrid Bergman. She's kind of got this kind of uh timeless kind of look about her. I feel like she was an actress today. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. Bad night. She doesn't look like very much. Like she's been turned out of the Hollywood system. I guess of that time, of the studio system of mm. that time. And I know this was like one of her earlier films, right? This yeah. Like her and she's a later arrival
0: Rome. than her sister, yeah. Olivia yeah. De Havilland. Yeah. And and doesn't come with the same star baggage that Olivia De Havilland would have had at the time. So no. She, you know, without divorcing it from her actual real life personality from a stars from a star point of view she's not coming with the same sort of baggage so fits perfectly into this um this nervous young girl type role and uh so no i think she's perfectly cast in it sanders as jack favell
1: Oh, uh, amazing maybe my favorite character in the whole film in terms of his like I love his delivery i love the way he delivers his lines he's so kind of smooth but at the same time so manipulative as well and there's something just a bit off about him you know but the way he um introduces himself when you when you hear him talking to miss stanvers and then he's like oh i, I won't bother the woman the house and then suddenly he's in he's in at a back window and he says hello to um to miss winter that kind of work the way he does that is you know exquisite
0: This I think is my favourite role Next to his appearance In uh, All About Eve As Addison DeWitt He's just brilliant in that as well And so acid-tongued So They're a perfect foil for each other Both of those roles Judith Anderson then As um, uh, Mrs. Danvers How did you find that?
1: Great She's so much presence Um, And I'd read that Didn't uh, Hitchcock say to her Like don't blink too much In scenes And that she also has this kind of ability because her dress is so long to kind of almost glide into scenes, and I like that she's kind of got this kind of blank expression on her all the time, and uh, yeah, no, she's really good, and I, I love that scene where she seems to where she seems to keep saying this, you know, when she shows the room Rebecca's room, and it's like this. Listen to the sea, listen to the sea scene. I love that.
0: Yeah, and like. I've I've seen Judith Anderson in, in in a couple of other films. She's in Star Trek Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. She's okay. like a Vulcan high priestess in that, and she's also in A Man Called Horse. She plays wait for it, uh, an Indian in that one. So an American oh, wow. Indian in that Buffalo Cowhead. So um, yeah that wouldn't be exact Uh, even though it's a film that's often praised for the the fact that it gets uh, that it allows the native americans to speak their own language there's actually quite a few people who aren't native americans (laughs) in the leading roles in that (laughs) film uh so yeah um okay moving to the 2020 film lily james let's have a look at lily james for um obviously that part isn't named in either nor is version or or in the book um, she's no. just known as the the new Mrs. De Winter <laughs> if anything yeah. at all um, how, how did you find it, Lily James
1: um, I did quite I like her in it um, she is a very kind of likeable actress I'm thinking of uh, I guess the film of hers that I'd seen previous to this that I thought oh this kind of similar role was Cinderella yeah um, which was kind of it's a great for me was, actually uh, yeah yeah it was kind of for me it was where I really noticed her and she, I thought I feel that's a very underrated film as well. I thought I feel it was like people brilliant. Really that was one of Kenneth Branagh's
0: yeah. best films in the last few years, and judging by the way things went with Artemis Fowl, well, yeah, like, and I've you seen know. Artemis
1: Fowl. <laughs> uh, so I thought she was really good at playing. Um, I did find the times that um, almost the way she was styled and stuff like that, uh, more more when they were Mandalay, was almost felt a bit too modern at times. Mm. I'm not sure if that was kind of hair design or things like that but I think um, in the first film Joan Fontaine's styling stays very kind of consistent and very kind of if it stays very much of her like of her class and I feel like with Lily James even when they try and you know dress her up to look a bit more you know she's just wearing these kind of regular jumpers and stuff like that it just doesn't feel as of the time for some reason and I can't really place my finger on why that is
0: okay right. Um, and I know I know an awful lot. The costume design was kind of adapted from, uh it with the t- to suit the actual cast first in mind. So, that maybe could have an an element of that, like True. they did look at period stuff, and they there is an effort to 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 conform to some period stuff. But there is also I think where you know, you know, an actor is going to be kind of conscious of their own persona and how they're sure. seen and I kept thinking of this being particularly the stuff in um, in the south of France where it felt like uh, Mamma Mia 2.0 for her you know <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, with some of the, the costuming so yeah I I thought she was good I thought she was effective like but I I, yeah. I have some issues and it's not with her performance and I think we'll talk more about that when we get to script um, yeah sure of course army hammer okay so look mm. i i feel, i felt that the, the the beginning of the film right i thought he was great i thought he was magnetic Brilliant. i thought he was interesting but when we get back to Mandalay, i thought things start to he, he kind of first of all he kind of vanishes from the film a small well, but anyway a little bit yeah. he's more sidelined than he is in the the other version and it doesn't do him any favors and i didn't think i didn't think he was wooden i i felt like he just didn't have enough to do
1: yeah yeah i i did too um one part i felt actually strange what like what i felt strange was i do know what you mean about those opening scenes that he is kind of almost a bit aloof but has this kind of magnetism about him but in in the same way with uh laurence olivier um kind of portrayal in in the 1940 film you feel like oh should she even why why is she kind of going for this guy is he you see that a guy i felt like almost the army hammer guy like version is too too nice maybe yeah given given yeah. what's happened you know Sounds given what's right. happened what we find out what's happened i think maybe yeah. too nice in the earlier scenes yeah um yeah but I do know what you mean. As the film goes on, he is in it less and less. Um, I think there's that breakfast scene where Lily James goes down and then suddenly he's like, oh, we just have to go off and do something. And it just there's there's a few too many scenes like that where I just have to go and do this kind of thing, you know?
0: Yeah. And so and think Kristen Scott Thomas then as uh, Mrs. Danvers. What did you think?
1: Oh, I loved her. I thought she was great, actually. Um, and look, she seems how... to be, yeah. Yeah, go on. No, no, no,
0: you go, go for it. Uh,
1: weirdly, it was the strangest uh, kind of character I felt she reminds me of was uh, just Scar in the Lion King.
0: Right, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, in how when um, when Mr Winter goes to goes to fire her, suddenly she just goes, "Oh, i my age. I don't think I'll be able to get work again." And she kind of has that kind of that that manipulation is is amazing. And, um, you know, like the way she kind of appears in the costumes, they're so kind of, you know, she's so restrictive, stricted almost in them. And, uh, yeah, no, I thought she was really good. She was probably my favourite actress in the whole thing, actually.
0: And look, a lot of other reviews have said the same. Personally, I felt that actually that her performance was a little bit too showy. That I felt like... Maybe. I felt like she looked like she was enjoying herself a little too much. (laughs) And I thought there were like i think some of the elements for her character in the script were kind of interesting in and they gave you more to I suppose care about the character a bit more and yeah they did but i actually kept thinking that she was in full on character character um
1: showing the scenery kind of mode yeah
0: yeah just kind of th- that's exactly it she yeah. was just very one-dimensional for the most part. I felt I felt like they tried to give her something extra. Yeah, but I felt the performance was one-dimensional. I, I, f- I felt like she was a slithery snake. I felt like it was like watching. Have you seen Alexander the the Oliver Stone film where yes, you've got I have, yeah. Angelina Jolie stroking a snake in every scene? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt <laughs> like if you could have given Scott Thomas a snake to stroke. She'd have been all over us.
1: There were scenes like that sleepwalking scene, which I did find a bit ridiculous. Yeah. She's just staring in the shadows kind of stuff. There were a few scenes like that where I did find yeah. this a bit much. I felt like uh, she came across more like a kind of mother-style character to Rebecca in this. Yeah. Whereas in the 1940 version, there's a, bit more of, there's a bit more of those kind of kind of sexual undertones, I guess, going on. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing, you know. But I did, yeah. I do know what you mean
0: Okay And then Sam Riley As Jack Favell
1: Sam Riley was really good actually um, He's he's one of those actors I feel Like since his debut With Control I don't know if he's been as He kind of turns up In things more as uh, I've seen him as a side character Sometimes And He can be effective But then I wonder if he's just One of those kind of actors He just doesn't Jump out at me a lot do You know that kind of way Yeah Yeah um, but here I thought he was brilliant. I loved the kind of the the, the little moustache and stuff like that, and um, his costume design was brilliant, ex- excellent, really. The car he had, um, I loved his introduction. I loved the way he kind of introduced himself. Yeah, that was really well done. His kind of, the way he kind of managed his body, like like checking his watch, really fast. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed him actually. Here. He
0: plays the creepy cad brilliantly, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, he does.
0: Okay, briefly, just let's just talk about some of the other supporting characters that pop up. Um yeah. some of the other I mean like going back to the, the, the nineteen forty film we have got the likes of C. Aubrey Smith popping up as the yeah. as the um Colonel Julian. Colonel Julian, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and stuff like that. And I thought um that uh the Mrs. Hopper character played by um
1: Florence Bates,
0: Florence Bates, yes, yeah um, I thought she was great I thought she was pretty good um yeah. and and in the updated version and um Miss Su was actually even nastier, and I thought that was she really was. effective, but one person yeah. that I thought was really really interesting was Bryony Miller, one of the the servants, she's that skinny gaunt oh. uh servant. I thought the casting oh, yeah. of her was just brilliant because she looked yeah. so frail, she looked so um delicate that you know she looked like she wanted to please lady james's character but was under the thumb of mrs danvers and i thought the casting in that case really really worked it was effective yeah so i think we're done with the cast side of things sure let's move on so let's look at the visuals so i've scored it i've given the 1940 film nine and i've given the 2020 film seven okay You've scored it uh. eight to seven, so eight to the nineteen forty film and seven to the twenty twenty. Let's yeah. let's talk. I think the the the, the nineteen forty film justifiably won the the Academy Award for cinematography, mm-hmm. and it's impressive, and like that's all well and good. I think the new the new film is stands out a bit more for me in some ways, and I'm not all of them good ways. Which is why of have scored okay. it a seven. So I yeah. feel like at times, uh, I should say by the way that the the nineteen forty film was shot by George Barnes, and the yeah. 19, or sorry, the, I keep saying nineteen twenty. <laughs> <laughs> the twenty twenty film was shot by um, uh, Laurie Rose. So yeah, some of the initial stuff and some of, uh, in the twenty twenty film really do feel like they're um that it's it's an upmarket TV movie in places. It just seems a bit flat or something. And, or do you know what it is? It's the image looks really glossy and I couldn't put my finger on it. And and the issue is I would have scored a lot lower if it wasn't for a couple of scenes where there is some real visual flair, like even the, even the arrival to Mandalay. Um when lily james is tossed over his shoulder and um we see everything from upside down it's really really interesting you know like her world has been turned upside down and that sort of a thing and she's and it represents all of that sort of stuff but i didn't feel like it really got into its own until the um until the until that party scene when i think you described it as the most wheatley-esque scene in the film and i think you're dead right and it, it that's when you get these beautiful colours you know reds and blues and stuff Um, and I just thought it really really worked and it stood out in a positive way what's your feeling on the visuals or
1: for the 2021 Um, I do know what you mean it, it does kind of almost suffer from this thing where everything looks so beautiful and given that Wheatley's, you know, when you think about some of his his kind of more memorable films like *Kill List*, that he's he's very good at kind of this kind of socialist realism stuff and kind of gritty stuff. And the one scene I felt where I kind of felt that was in that kind of courtroom scene because everyone's kind of bunched up together, and I really enjoyed that. But at at times you do feel like you're just in all these beautiful vistas and these beautiful clothes, and I don't know if it really captures captures what what we kind of. Come to expect from Ben Wheatley film, um, but then in the, in the other hand, the nineteen forties film was kind of a deliberate uh, choice to shoot it in black and white, wasn't it?
0: Yes, and I think it was. And then, yeah, because it choice. could easily have shot it in color, post, yeah. gone with the wind. But I think Hitchcock made the effort, made the the argument for being shot in black and white, and it makes sense.
1: Yeah, and you've also got things like you've kind of got this kind of. Yeah you've kind of got kind of This kind of fog around the house as well And stuff like that Like it does have kind of like Little kind of horror elements To it um, The the original does that That Somehow the new one With so much of its glossiness Kind of misses I don't know what it is But it just does
0: Yeah And the other thing visuals wise that, that stood out for me Was The costume design Yeah And Look, it's it. It seems perfectly fine and tailored to the time in the in the in the nineteen forty film, in the twenty twenty film. Um, you've got that. The uh, the suit that Army Hammer wears at the start. It's beautiful. The mustard mustard suit, and so I was doing the research on the costume design. So the costume designer was Julian Day, and he was saying like that. They played around with the costumes to reflect what's going on in the film and the characters, and I think it's really effective. Like you have that bright mustardy suit that that Army Hammer is wearing at the beginning, and then later on in the film, I think he's wearing darker, more restrictive fabrics. Yeah. And um, I think what Dave was saying was that you know the the style of the thirties suit jacket was actually quite. Much narrower, and Army Hammer and, and Lily James they know what suits them, and they're you know that's obviously going to feed into any actor's um, mindset when they're being dressed. They've got to look good on screen no matter what they're wearing. Mm-hmm. So, Army Hammer's shoulders are actually supposed to be massive, <laughs> <laughs> he's six foot five, so they had to let things out or adapt things. So, I think what in his case they actually just took some um, samples of original material and just. Uh, remade the clothes because getting vintage stuff and having enough multiples just wouldn't work and uh, so for his character's progression you've got the the bright yellows at the beginning and then you're moving into darker colors lily james i think has some really interesting stuff to start she's got this kind of dowdy servant sort of get up whereas later on she's starting to wear the lighter fabrics and stuff uh lighter colored fabrics anyway um and what I also thought was really interesting was with Denver's character, Day has described her um her costumes as being almost like a bruise. So she starts off wearing these dark blues, but moves into maroons, and I thought that yeah. was really interesting. So I think that does stand out for us. Um, but I couldn't really. I just I there was just those few elements that at the beginning or in parts of the film where it just felt a little like a a well made T V movie rather than a full on cinematic piece that held it back from being a truly amazing experience because, you know, Netflix or not, you expect a big budget feature mm-hmm. like this to really nail it. Like I couldn't imagine it being in the mix for the Oscars at the end of the year, kind of the start of the year kind of a thing, you know? Sure. I, I don't know, how did how did you feel? that way
1: um yeah i like for the for the 2020 film like the costumes were really nice but as you say there was nothing really that stood out i did quite like jack favel's um when he first turns up and he's got this kind of this kind of mac that kind of hangs around his shoulders i love that i thought that was great where he runs towards the horse and he's kind of he's like the scarlet Pimpernel or something like that you know yeah he's just running and somehow the jacket all everything all stays in place um one thing I did find interesting about actually from the nineteen forties version, costumes wise, is that apparently these kind of um short kind of cardigan type tops that Joan Fontaine's character wears uh were really popular in Spain and apparently they're called Rebecca's. Yeah, that's right. I thought that was really yeah. really interesting. And um I liked as well, there was there was that scene where um uh Olivier's character where he's him and Rebecca are looking at their kind of their holiday snaps. And he's wearing this kind of really like it's kind of this mad audacious kind of suit top, you know? And he's just he's he's always dressed so well, but then she turns up wearing kind of, you know, a kind of a kind of a black line of like evening gown type dress with flowers on it, and straight away he's like, Oh, why are you changing your clothes? You don't have to change anything for me. But he is always like he's always immaculate the whole time. Yeah. It's a bit of a strange strange dynamic there.
0: Yeah. So um yeah, so let's look move on to the soundtrack. Yeah. So I've scored it um I've scored the nineteen seven nineteen forty film seven. I've scored the twenty twenty film five. Okay. You've scored the nineteen forty film six and the twenty twenty film six. So yeah. again, I thought Franz Waxman score for the for the film was, was fine it wasn't like overly intrusive or anything but it was effective for what for what was in front of us Um but it's not like one of the iconic scores from a Hitchcock film that you can think of like a Bernard Harmon score or something like that no Um. so I thought it was fine but not like the finest hour in, in Hitchcock scores it's not one that I can see yeah. myself revisiting on my own
1: Um, no what what did you think yeah it was like I remember the opening kind of uh, team is is really good but other than that yeah you see a lot of films from kind of like this period and they have the kind of same kind of sweeping score Um, I thought was interesting about this is just reading about Celsic and how he used to uh, meddle in his production so much is that he he borrowed uh, Waxman from MGM to score it and then that, but he only gave him a rough cut to work with, so this caused problems. So then Seldon got Max Steiner's music from *Stars Born* inserted, where he felt Waxman's score wasn't working, and then this obviously caused like animosity between them. So there probably is a feeling that maybe yeah, like you say, it's not like a Bernard Herrmann score or something like that. That's super iconic. And with the modern film, like Clint Mansell, I love his stuff. Like you know, he did like Reckoning for a Dream*. He also did High Rise as well, he did Moon, he's done loads of really cool stuff, but I just didn't feel this one really like jumped out at me. Yeah. Um But well, maybe I'll go back and listen to it and might feel differently, but just nothing while I was watching the film really jumped out at me.
0: But I'd agree with you in that sense. Yeah. Of, yeah from his main score. Nothing really jumped out at me. What did jump out at me though was the reuse of or yeah. the use of that let, let no Either. man steal your time thing. Like I thought it was when I when I <laughs> It was almost like a piece of music that was kind of incongruent to the period, a small bit, even though it was an adaptation of it. I mean, if the last time I saw that pop up in a in a film was in the Thomas Vinterberg version of Far From the Madden Crowd. And I thought it worked sure. better in that it fitted with that period more so than this period. Until it pops up again in the party sequence. And yeah. when... Lily James' characters being taunted by the others and I thought, okay now I know where we're going, this feels like something like the Wicker Man or something like that and I felt like Wheatley was getting into his groove, we were really seeing all, I mean we've seen elements of the Wicker Man in films like Kill List anyway before, so yeah. I was like this is Wheatley, this is him nailing his colours to the mast and I really liked it and yeah and it really felt like we were in that english folk horror type of thing and i was like "Mm -hmm, this this is kind of working but prior to that it felt like it was standing out too much for me and uh didn't really add much to it and the, the mansell thing like yourself thought it was grand but didn't didn't really do much yeah okay so let's look at script because i think this is an area that we've got um well I think that the scores are very clear. So um I've scored the nineteen forty film nine and the twenty twenty film I've given five. You've given them the, the nineteen forty film eight and I and the twenty twenty film five. So let's um let's dissect it. So like the um I think it's easy easy to start with the one you're gonna give a kick into really. <laughs> and uh, so for me, the 2020 film, right, is um, it's got some interesting things going on with some of the characters that I found left that that hurt some some elements. And one was Army Hammer's character uh, just seems to go a little bit missing. It comp- doesn't seem to have as much. And then when it comes down to his performance, he's kind of left with that stuff to deal with. And I I felt like it hurt his performance. Um, there are bits with Mrs. Danvers that I thought they tried to flesh out the character a bit more, but it kind of... Well, it, it might have given something interesting for Crystal Scott Thomas to do. Um, I didn't feel like um, it made the film any stronger. And one of the key areas that I found really annoying was that they gave uh, Lily James' character more to do which isn't the case in in the the nineteen forty film, and I felt like they've updated it to reflect, um, you know, more modern uh, feminist movements. Okay. And I can understand why people would be in the audience would be going, yeah, give her something to do. But I kind of felt like the character went on a very weird journey then, and and um, I didn't feel like the character character rang. True through, throughout the whole thing I felt that yeah there's character development but then it's like the character goes up another notch which I didn't find believable yeah so there was that yeah and then I the the, the tacked on extra bit at the end in Cairo did I have much of a problem with that not really um did I have any issues with the Mrs. Denver's character and the and adding more to that uh i you know I just didn't think it worked as well as the nineteen forty film,
1: yeah, and it's strange because probably from what i've read the um the twenty twenty film is kind of closer to the original book in terms of an adaptation um but uh, that actually seems to affect it and i actually do feel in, in a strange way i do feel actually the romance in the beginning of the 2020 version is actually a bit more realistic than the one in the 1940s version yeah this is the one area actually, that i, I thought really worked
0: actually the opening 20 yeah. minutes or whatever yeah the stuff in yeah the south of france that stuff is good in fact it gives yeah. the, it's got more breathing space in it doesn't it
1: yeah, no, it definitely does. And you kind of feel the relationship present in the 1940s version. It just seems like it's almost like uh, that our severe character decides on the spot. We'll just get married now. We'll, we'll sort all this out. It doesn't really work as well. Um, and it's probably one of the weaker aspects of the original film. But in a strange way, because I know that um, having the Max the Winter character not kill Rebecca in the nineteen forties version was as a result of the Hayes code. I actually think it works really well and I for for that film and I think that scene where where Olivier is talking about, oh I I think she hit her head or something, or I had a moment of madness kind of stuff, is, is an excellent kind of scene. It's a it's brilliant acting and it's a you know it's testament to the scriptory that like you have you have something that's not in the book but you make it work. And it could easily not have worked.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Was there anything else that stood out for you script wise?
1: You think I really felt actually that in the 1940s version they make an effort, uh, more to have, um, kind of the Miss Stanford character, she's actually not around as much, yeah, and then her presence kind of is more effective throughout the film, um. I did feel at times that as you said maybe the Kristen Scott Thomas she's kind of she is kind of chewing the scenery or in a bit too many scenes yeah and they're trying too hard to give her like her character a bit more weight and it's actually not really needed you know yeah actually another scene that stood yeah.
0: out for me was the the Jack Favell scene where he takes her writing yeah like it seemed really unbelievable like I really he came across like it it, it copper fastened that the character was a creep but normally somebody's yeah. taking somebody out for a riding lesson they don't hop on the horse and manhandle some other person's wife you know yeah, uh, of course, yeah, so I thought that was an interesting attempt to you know to make sure that we got that the character was a creep but a step too yeah. far in believability uh, okay. so there's that okay let's look at direction sure so I've scored I've scored the nineteen forty film um eight and I've scored the twenty twenty film six. You've scored it eight to nineteen forty and seven to twenty twenty. Yeah. So I think the thing is like the Wheatley film's gotten a bit of a kicking from the critics and stuff. Sure. And like I don't think he's done a bad job here, as a director. I think he's taken the script that he's been given, and he's made a solid film. I didn't find the the film. Um, I, I didn't. The film didn't blow me away as a whole, but I didn't think it was a desperate film at all. I've seen some people saying, "Oh, this is awful. This is the worst." It's far from it. There's far worse out there. Um, oh, yeah, Weekly himself seems like a guy who'd be great to go for a few beers with
1: yeah and his his film uh tastes are amazing like very far ranging yeah he's, he's used to be one of those guys who uh you know he was saying that a lot of his film watching came in the 90s when uh he had a vcr and he'd uh you know he'd see what films were on that night and he'd set it to record and then wake up in the morning and see what had actually been recorded yeah and he was talking about uh i think watching alien or something like that where he'd he recorded it but this golf tournament had gone over so he got like this one and a half hours of a golf tournament and then like 20 minutes of, of Alien just as the film is starting to get going. Um, but yeah, he's got like, I mean, and he, I think as well when he was, I read as well when he was uh, promoting High um, Rise that he'd seen uh, Army Hammer and the Lone Ranger and he'd really liked it and, and he was told, don't be saying that in meetings, don't say this. And he, You know, he likes his blockbusters, he's, but then he likes, you know, Great Gardens is one of his favorite films ever and um, He's got a really kind of you know cool taste in c- cinema and stuff like that, and he seems to be one of those guys who who is happy to kind of just jump from project to project. You know, he'll make smaller kind of gritty action horror films, and then he'll do something like this.
0: Yeah, and I, like you know, you're you're dead right. <laughs> I actually did like Army Hammer in The Lone Ranger as well. So did I. You know, so did I. and actually just getting back to the Army Hammer thing, like I loved him in Call Me by Your Name. I loved him in The Lone yeah. Ranger, but I bloody well hated him in. Jagger, there's a couple of things where <laughs> I've just gone. Nah, he has been so up and down. Uh, yeah. Didn't like nocturnal animals either. So I wonder
1: uh, if the issue is here yeah. is that he has played a similar role yeah, a few times. You know, maybe he's, like he's played kind of that kind of you know that guy who comes from a kind of um, a kind of moneyed background yeah kind of thing and, and he just uh, and that kind of stuff so he can always be a bit of a snob or whatever but it's just like yeah i do know what you mean maybe he's just at that stage in his career where he's like i i don't need to play this kind of matinee idol anymore yeah maybe this will be the last time we see it
0: maybe uh, but getting back to Weekly then um like i think his films prior to this have been they've all been effective I've I yeah. I think my favorite is probably side series because I think some of the other ones have had some amazing moments or had have had some amazing amazing yeah. momentum throughout, but maybe haven't been a knockout perfect film yet. Uh, yeah. Like High Rise, I found was a film that was aesthetically really cool and had some really cool stuff in it, but it kind of felt like a valiant failure rather than a full on great film. Um, it's a film
1: out of time, isn't it? If it was shot in the 70s, you would think a lot different of it, I think.
0: Maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. And Kill List, I thought, was brilliant up until the kind of Wicker esque finale. But yeah. it had so many other elements in it that were just first rate. And maybe we're now looking at, at, at Wheatley in a different way because those films had kind of had an indie vibe about them. And now he's kind of breaking into the big league. And we know he's we've seen him connect, uh, kind of uh, linked to things like the next Tomb Raider film and the Meg 2. And I'm actually glad to see him kind of connected with those sort of things. So I'm like, yeah, perfect. I think he's the guy that could bring something to these franchises. And so I was you know, you think of Del Toro doing Blade 2 and stuff like that. So, uh, um, that's that's always yeah, he's, he's you know
1: he's got a similar thing to Del toro where he's like yeah I make a film like Pan's Labyrinth and then I go make you know uh what's what's it, Pacific Rim or something like yeah that, that kind of thing yeah he does have that kind of similar thing one for me one for them kind of thing um but he's yeah I don't I don't think a film like this for all its bad views I don't think it's gonna hurt his career or anything like that I think and I know as well that he's actually made a horror recently. Yeah. Um. During the whole lockdown thing, I think he wrote two scripts and he's actually filmed the one. Yeah. Um. Throughout this period, so I'll I'll be looking forward to that.
0: Absolutely, and and I think the other thing is he was asked like, oh, you know, is this a bit of a failure for you now? You know, um, uh, it's not going down well with the critics and whatnot, and he was like, well, you know, you've got to you look at your what how you define success for yourself. And yeah. um uh, So yeah. So then looking and at his Polarizing. Hit, f- yeah
1: polarizing film critics are not new to him. I'm sure yeah. lots of people were taken aback by something like Kill List, you
0: know? And I genuinely feel like, you know, when you look at these films, like films like maybe not this particular film, uh, but just because something doesn't work when it comes out with, from the point of view of the box office or maybe even with critics, it doesn't mean that it won't find an audience down the line or that it won't find uh, a healthy portion of fans that might actually see it revived and get the appreciation the film deserves, like for example, yeah. the nineteen eighty three Bre- Breathless. So, yeah. um, we we'll see how things go, and but yeah, definitely definitions of success and stuff like that need to be recalibrated. And I d- I don't think anyone wins. I think the critics that go about knocking film directors are the ones that don't bother to try and make films.
1: Yeah, of course. And, you know. you know, this is, well, like, of Hitchcock's filmography, this is, you know, it's up there. Yeah. So it's always going to be living in the shadow of that, no matter what.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, So Hitchcock, I mean, Hitchcock, direction-wise in this, it's pretty solid-like. And the only reason I mm-hmm. haven't gone for a higher score with it, really, is because, well, he's under the thumb of Selznick, even though we know that Selznick yeah. was tied up with other things. Um, yeah and that he initially came over to do a version of the Titanic. And, uh, but that just kind of fell by the wayside. And I, I, I think, I think this is such a, it's a solid, solid job the whole way through. I think it's a, like it's as, as Hitchcock films go, it's not my favorite Hitchcock film, but it is a cracking one. And, uh, I just think, um, it's, 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 it's up there with, with with his best work, but um but it's not one that I suppose it's one of his more anonymous works, would that be fair to say?
1: Uh yeah, well it's it's an interesting film, isn't it? Because it's like he said it himself, wasn't it? He doesn't consider it Hitchcocky or you know, whatever because yeah. it doesn't have as much humour in it. Um but it's also I think it's uh, I read somewhere, I think one of his interviews with Peter Bogdanovich where he was saying it was the first film where they'd used where he'd used dollies and stuff like that. Yeah. So probably is gonna look a lot like a lot different to, you know, films before this, like the thirty nine steps and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I do think it looks um, a bit lusher.
0: Yeah, in, definitely. Than those, you know. But yeah, I if no, you if you gave I'm me a choice between the thirty nine steps and this, I'd go with the thirty nine steps any day of the week. Yeah? Yeah, I just love the the knock nice. kind of pacing of something like the thirty nine steps. Obviously it depends on my mood like. Um yeah. I love the Lady Vanishes. And yeah. um uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's that. Let's t- let's top up the scores. Okay. So do well, you want the big yeah. reveal?
1: Sure. Go on. I've of got scores
0: now, of <laughs> scores, and okay. Uh, okay. So the nineteen, I'm gonna go up to twenty twenty film first. Okay. So out of each of those ca- ca- categories, so cast, direction, soundtrack, visuals, and script, we've scored it a total of sixty four. Okay. Have a guess what the 1940 film has got. Do you want to guess or will I just call it out?
1: 83.
0: Oh, man, you're at, your math's pretty good for off the top of your head. 82.
1: Oh, wow, nice. So, 82, 64. What are we thinking? Is that fair? That's pretty fair, I think, yeah. Because uh, if you took that to out of 10, it'd be an 8 out of 10 and a 6 out of 10. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. As you say, like, this film isn't... It's, it's a really good Hitchcock... But it's not, for me anyway, personally, it's not up there with, say, Rear Window or North by Northwest. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, yeah, with this, it's, it's probably going to be seen probably as one of Wheatley's lesser films, maybe. Thank you very much for listening. You can contact the show by emailing to extrareal at gmail.com. Search for the Extra Real podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can listen to the show on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcast from.